to have a very cheery podcast, weren't we? We we're going to talk about United's Renaissance versus uh, Queen's Park Rangers. I think in my preview for the Leicester game, I called that the real start to the post-Ferguson era. Apparently I was wrong. Uh, and uh, we we're going to talk about a fine victory against Leicester and some fine goals. Uh, what went wrong? It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. After an hilarious first half of football where we were scoring ridiculously high quality goals for fun and letting in one stupid one. Uh, once we went 3-1 up, I thought that was it. I was just in a bit of a state of shock. We're recording about less than 10 minutes after the game's finished. Uh, so it's all very fresh. Everything that went right against QPR sort of continued into that first half. Our attacking play looked mesmerising. But once Clattenburg gave Leicester that penalty, our players just turned into a bunch of useless jellies, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Yeah, useless jellies is a... A good phrase. Well, look, look, let's start from the beginning. So uh, it was a, a pretty bright start from United. I mean, uh, I was thinking about this game beforehand. I, I thought, look, Leicester, they're going to be near the bottom of the league uh, or, you know, mid-table at best. But they're not nearly as passive as QPR. And, you know, they're a much more aggressive side. And I figured they'd give United more of a game. But United were pretty bright and 13 minutes in, fine, fine cross from Radamel Falcao. Apparently he's a left winger now and, uh, you know, he, he can really go wrong with it, although he's not Ashley Young. So Ashley Young could definitely get that one wrong. Uh, picked out Van Persie, who nodded it in and, and it looked, you know, nice and easy for United. And then then three minutes later, Angel Di Maria scores a worldie. Just a ridiculous piece of skill to get a ball that was too short for him and, and dink it over the keeper. And, and it looked all good, didn't it? Yes, it did for about, what, 30 seconds? About about 30 seconds, yeah. And then Rocco didn't stop the cross. Uh, Blackett and Evans were in weird, bizarro, no-man's-land world. And uh, Raphael couldn't get across his man. Should have been nowhere near it, as you were just saying before we before we started recording. Well, it's, yeah, it's not Raphael's zone, so he shouldn't be anywhere near that. And uh, although he got criticism from the... Uh, the pundits at half time. Um, I, I think they're they're missing the point with that one. Evans passive. I'm afraid that's that's always been my problem with Evans. He just gets himself in the wrong position, and he was there. And, and Blackett, God knows where he was. Um, not even on the frame. Not even you stick it in widescreen mode was he on the, in the frame. So um, very poor defending all round. I'm sure that uh, Van Hole get his players and they do a lot of video analysis at United these days they'll, they'll be looking at that one because it wasn't pretty what was pretty though was uh, Ander Herrera's finish for United's third goal at first viewing it looks like uh, that's that's bounced in off about three people but uh, actually he's a, he's a beautiful flick to send the keeper the wrong way yeah absolutely magnificent and just continued that incredible vein at half time I tweeted so psyched for the second half <laughs> which has just been retweeted by a bunch of Arsenal fans unsurprisingly oh yeah I might retweet that one so <laughs> yeah. uh, add, add to the fun yeah, Herrera he's had a really good start to his uh, United career hasn't he yeah he, he scored four goals in 90 odd games for Bilbao and uh, has two in the last four for United so he's, he's doing something right you know it was always his goal scoring which was the the weak point of his game but um, he slotted in really well he, he plays sort of this uh, in Van Hal speak number eight role ish mm-hmm. sort of he's sort of halfway between an eight and a six but definitely not United's number seven um, <laughs> if that makes any sense yeah that's analysis for you uh, and and he looks really neat uh, he's he's he is not the problem. No. Neither is Daily Blint, although, you know, Blint, excellent range of passing and, and you know, pretty good defensive now, and he's getting around. He's he's not all that mobile. And when uh, 
When it started going wrong for United, he looked like players were running past him, which was a bit of a problem. And then then in you know, the third of the midfield sort of trio, it was Di Maria, who was just outstanding until he came off. Yeah, I mean, I really like Van Gaal, but I think he deserves a good deal of criticism for his substitutes in that game, I think. He got them probably all wrong. Uh, when Johnny Evans was injured and he brought Smalling on, I think it might have been better to bring Rocco inside and put Shaw on. Maybe that's that's sort of six of one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I guess it would have had had been sort of three left-footed players on the pitch there, and sure, uh, sure, and Blackett and Rocco. But um, so you know, yeah, it's a it's a tough call that one. And and yeah, you're right. You know, Falcao coming off for what? Yanazayan barely got into the game. Unfortunately, he's, he's having a tough season. Yanazayan. Di Maria coming off uh, Matter, which was a slightly strange decision, given that uh, Matter actually then slotted into central midfield rather than going at number ten and and shifting Rooney back. Yeah, I mean, when that happened, I don't know why he didn't put Yanazai into the Di, the Di Maria role on the sort of left of the midfield diamond and put Rooney right up front with Ampersi and put Matter behind the two of them. That would seem to be the logical thing. Yeah, which which of course brings us to Rooney, doesn't it? And um, everyone's favourite player, I suppose. He's fast becoming one of the most divisive players as well because Van Gaal said in his press conference pre-Leicester game that he has special privileges, Rooney, and uh, the captain shall always play, which is somewhat odd because he had a stinker. He had an absolute stinker against Leicester. And um, it's not just... It's not just that he had a bad game. He affects United's play, you know, his inability to link uh, midfield with attack, which is exactly the role he had uh, at number 10. He doesn't play like a number 10, of course, because he doesn't really control the game or the tempo of the game. And and he was ineffective with the ball when he had it. 86 touches, Rooney. Uh, really did very little with it. Uh, of course, the pass for Di Maria's goal, which was short anyway. Yeah, he had a very good game against QPR or he did. a much better game against QPR because he was playing... Playing in a more normal role. Exactly, because yeah. the problem is he's not even... Um, the way that system was set up against QPR, it was a very fluid diamond with Matter at the helm of that diamond. And Matter is, of course, very adept at dropping back to cover when Herrera burst forward and all that kind of stuff. Rooney just looks sort of all at sea in that position... And one of the reasons I was so disappointed when I saw that he was being played there in this game was about what it does to Rooney as well as what it does to the rest of the team. Like, if he'd played another game up front, then he could have started to build that confidence and had a couple of good games in a row. And, you know, the Rooney captain I tweeted, I was sort of joking, to be honest. There's no evidence that it's a joke in the in the body of the tweet. But I said that making Rooney captain is almost as bad a decision as making Moyes manager. You know, it's really, really a terrible choice. And after the third goal, which Rooney was almost entirely responsible for, because he cleared his a very, very poor clearance straight into the path of a Leicester player, Rooney's absolutely bawling at the rest of his team until he's literally red in the face and if he thought that helped if he thought that was good leadership the evidence on the pitch showed very contrary to that yeah I have to say I agree with you there I, I think there was no leadership in fact when it was all going pear-shaped in the second half I'm wondering where the the leadership is and and leadership isn't screaming and bawling especially not when you've got you know such a multicultural team uh, unless Rooney has learnt to scream and ball in Spanish I think uh, it's not going to have much effect you know leadership is as Van Hull has pointed out before the the player that can translate 
his vision, his philosophy onto the pitch. You know, that's it's always been one of the reasons. Well, you know, one, one of several reasons, in my opinion, why Rooney was the wrong choice as captain. But unfortunately, we're stuck with that now, and for many reasons, I think it was effectively a political decision by Van Hal. You know, I can completely understand why he made that decision, but it's not necessarily going to translate well onto the pitch and and just for this game I just thought Rooney had a bad game really he was you know there's there's lots and lots of players we can pick out as having bad games of course you know Rojo had a very difficult introduction not surprised I think he will have many difficult games um the pace of the game is a couple of steps up from the the Portuguese league and he got caught out by that Evans ball watching injured Smalling can't pass for Toffee got in his uh, fellow defenders ways Blackett uh, very young and you know, he was probably United's best player, best defender, sorry, uh, until he got sent off with a just mistimed tackle and, you know, uh, one of the very few decisions that Klattenberg actually got right that one and, and Raphael obviously afraid showing his naivety again, fouled for Leicester's penalty but then got up and, and gave uh, Vardy the opportunity to fall over, you know, and so you can't really defend any of United's back four. But Rooney, of the attacking players, the worst of the lot by, by some distance, I think. Uh, worst of the lot? I don't know. Because I think that Robin Van Persie has now had two really poor games in a row. He scored in this game, which is obviously good for an attacker. But, you know, it's a finish that bounced off the defender and would have gone straight into Schmeichel's hands. But, but for that. But he was terrible against QPR, really miles off the pace uh, compared to the rest of them. And I would drop Van Persie over Rooney in the front two for sure at the moment because Rooney just looks more alive. Rooney's problem is he's a terrible number 10. He's a terrible number 10. And yet he keeps being given the opportunity there. So there we go. Yeah, Van Persie didn't have a great game. I don't think he had a bad game by any means. And, you know, he, he's only got the ball on target twice, but he scored once, which is fine. Um, that's his job. I mean, he's become more of a number nine over the last two seasons than anything else, hasn't he? You know, he's an out and out attacker and he was the, the furthest forward of any of United's players for the whole game. But you're right, it's not the dynamic uh, Robin Van Persie we know. He's not where we'd like him to be. Looks like he's still trying to find form and fitness this season, which not that surprising. I mean, it's his fifth game of the season, but uh, with zero pre-season. So he's about where everyone else was on the opening day of the season. So... You know, let's hope it comes good. You know, he's he's got the quality, and I agree that his uh, his form isn't good. And and uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, if we were dropping one of that front three, it might well be him. Although he needs the games to get sharp. What I do know though is Rooney will never make a good number ten. He never has been. Uh, I'm afraid, not in a classical sense. And and over the years, as his first touch got worse, it shouldn't have, but it did. He's become a worse number 10. So if you're going to play him, you play him right up front. But it does leave a problem, of course. You know, of course. How do you fit all three into the side and have the right kind of balance? You can't. It, you can't fit. It's really, it's like, it's so straightforward, isn't it? It's There is no way of playing Rooney, Van Persie and Falcao without making big sacrifices. Yep, but that's that's what the, the manager's got to do. I mean, he's got to find a system that works for everybody. At the end of the QPR game, which we haven't quite got onto yet, but it was a straight up 4-3-3, wasn't it? Rooney through the middle and, and Van Persie left and Falcao right, which was interesting. I don't think that's actually the formation that... He'll end up with this. Diamonds is interesting, but it does mean the uh, the defenders have to attack, which is are going to leave more spaces. Van Hal said before the Leicester game that a four three three should allow United to create more chances. He hasn't actually used a four three three very often so far, which you know everyone thought was his favourite system. So I think he's still trying to feel out what is the best 
option for his team. I mean, he talks in very confident terms about picking a system for the players he's got, and that's why he switched from a back three because he now feels like he's got the players. But you have to wonder whether he's he's really that clear in his mind at the moment because there's a lot of chop and change and. And uh, it's not necessarily working out for United. I'm very optimistic about Van Gaal and United. I'm still very optimistic about the rest of this season, to be honest. I, I think that we're in teething problem territory at the moment. Um, yeah. But I'm, there is never going to be a system that's the best that United could be playing that's got Rooney, Van Persie and Falcao in it. You can't do it. You can't do it because Van Persie coming in off the right isn't going to be as good and nor is Rooney coming in off the left. And compared to the option of having Yanazai on one side and Dimaria on the other side, you know, it's a no-brainer, right, in terms of those positions. Rooney at 10 is a joke. Playing them as three centre-forwards is going to be is ridiculous, obviously, in the modern game. So I, I just don't see that that is ever going to happen. You pick two of the three every game, right? But that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is Mata's going to be sacrificed and Rooney's going to play at 10 a lot uh, until Van Gaal presumably clicks that that is not going to work. Mm, well, yeah, if he's even allowed to. <laughs> so... Uh... Conspiracy theory. So, look, there, there was uh, something more positive uh, the week beforehand uh, in United's victory over QPR, 4-0, and, and really comprehensive. I mean, I thought, as, as well as United play, and, and the attacking play was excellent, and, it, you know, it felt very impressive watching the game. And I was watching it with a bunch of... Uh, it was very strange watching it in the States. I was over there for work stroke holiday, so a couple of weeks in California, and, and watched it in... Uh, downtown San Francisco with uh, a bunch of American Reds and some expats, which is always a strange experience. But it looked very impressive from 5,000 miles away watching on the telly. But QPR, pretty lightweight opponents in the end. Yeah, it looked pretty impressive from 20 feet away, six rows back in Old, Old Trafford as well. I was sat next to Anders Red and we spent quite a lot of time trying to work out what the formation was because it was really close to the pitch. It was very difficult to work it out. Twigged it was a diamond after the game. Um, but yeah, it was amazing, like... Angel de Maria looked incredible and and QPR were very lightweight opposition but also like Blinden Herrera did not give them a second on the ball basically QPR did exactly what Burnley did and just sat back and put nine men behind the ball the whole time but United had far far more effective attacking unit on the pitch than they did against Burnley so it just didn't work for QPR and yeah United were mesmerizing de Maria was absolutely out of this world in the first half and seeing him wearing the number seven shirt tearing up the pitch at Old Trafford was just incredibly exciting and actually that really carried on into the Leicester game there's loads of positives from that Leicester game it just all went to heck in a handcart in the second half but the first half was mint and it kind of just carried on that brilliant form uh, from that game Against QPR. Yeah, I mean, excellent performances all round from United, really. Both fullbacks uh, really good. Rafael and Rojo against Queen's Park Rangers bombing on. I mean, they didn't have a lot of uh, defending to do, did they? You know, Crankar and Hoylet barely got a look in, I thought, basically. And, you know, not really natural wide players either of them. Di Maria, just brilliant and dynamic. Um, you know, so subtle one moment and and pacey the next. Uh, Herrera, great all-round performance, rewarded with a goal. Uh, Blint, you know, very comfortable in that defensive midfield role. Massa at the top of the diamond. I, I wasn't sure he was brilliant, but he was very effective, wasn't he? And scored a goal and scored a lot of goals uh, in from that position at number 10. And, and Rooney pretty dynamic up front, you know. He had a very good game, Rooney, at number 9. Uh, which is where he should be playing and and all round lots and lots and lots of positives for for United in that game and you know very passive opponents which helps of course but uh, especially when you've got that much quality on the pitch and it all felt 
it felt like a fresh start in some way for United. Yeah, first victory of the season, uh, all the new players, loads of new players making debuts. Falcao came on for the last sort of half an hour or so. Um, the only player who hasn't, the new players hasn't played the game yet is Shaw for a number of reasons. And after the game, it felt really positive. It lasted a week, unfortunately. <laughs> it was an amazing atmosphere in the ground as well. It was sat right over, just next in the stand next to J stand. So could hear the singing section, which I understood from talking to a couple of people at Stretford End. You, can't, you still can't really hear the singing section very well from Stretford End. But they were loud and boisterous. And I think a lot of the teething problems of the first game, when there was like people being told it was a singing section, some people being told it wasn't, and a few rows and stuff broke out. But this game was much more sort of coherent, and the singing section did a, a fine job of singing the whole time, and it definitely improved the atmosphere on that side of the ground. However, whatever the politics behind the thing are, and however ridiculous it feels that it exists, it still made a lot of noise all the way through, and that, that was quite good. Um, the Stretford End was really noisy too, so all that was very entertaining and very enjoyable. And... You can't talk about that QPR game. I don't know if they showed any of this on the television in America, but the halftime show in that QPR game is one of the most remarkable things that ever happened on a pitch. So if you'll forgive me a rambling story for a sec. Before the game, it's announced over the tannoy, your official match day sponsor this week is Nissin Noodles. And I burst out laughing and nobody else around burst out laughing. Just kind of anaesthetised the ridiculousness of that concept. And then at half time, they bring out the Red Samurai and the Ninjas. So this guy dressed up as a Red Samurai and a bunch of people dressed up as Ninjas. And they do very impressive keepy-uppies. All the while, Fred the Red is dancing with a man with a massive bowl on his head, like his upper body and his head, you can't see his face, he's just a bowl holding a giant fork with Nissin written on it. This is modern football, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, yes, hate modern football. Well, look, I mean, United have not been immune to that kind of ridiculousness at half-time, full-time and pre-game for many, many years. It's just, it's all uh, it's all got a sponsor's label on it. Uh, I remember the time that they... Uh, wrestlers onto the pitch which was really really odd uh, like 20 years ago so you know it's been um, it's been happening forever it's just everything gets branded these days and just feels cheaper as a result unfortunately that is modern football isn't it yeah i was sort of watching it thinking oh well if this is paying for Di Maria it might just about be worth it yeah well I, I have to say I find Di Maria an awful lot more entertaining that kind of nonsense but yeah <laughs> um and yeah hey let's let's just talk about Di Maria for a, a bit because it's worth you know eulogizing over his first uh, few performances for United I mean he's settled into the team uh, and just brings a, a whole bunch of class really 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 quickly I mean for all the talk of Ronaldo returning home which was you know, it's it's a little bit of a misnomer because, you know, it's, it's a couple of quotes from a direct question put to Van Hal in order to get the United consider Ronaldo purchase headline. But uh, but for all that talk, you know, we, we've got a dynamic, attacking, goal-scoring, you know, not as many goals, creative attacking player from Real Madrid and a very good one at that. And uh, he's looking like a bargain at £60 million. I mean, he really is with the prices of players these days. I don't think that's an overpriced signing, however ridiculous it is to say. Like, his first performances have just been, he was pretty good against Burnley, United's best player, in a terrible performance. And then when the team around him was slightly more functional, he was just electrifying and he was brilliant again today. It's incredible. And, and you know, after the QPR game, my, I sort of half-jokingly said, I think we're going to win the league, which, by the way, 
even though it's completely ridiculous, I still don't think it's impossible. But what I did think watching that team is that there's a team that's two years away from really competing in the Champions League, that actually there's a team being built there that could be one of the best teams in Europe again. And... Di Maria and Falcao as well, although he hasn't had the same kind of impact because he's obviously a lot less much fresh than Di Maria is. But he's just unreal, isn't he? He's just you're just watching him going, I can't believe he plays for us. It's been such a long time since Ronaldo left that we've had a player like that. Yeah, and uh, he's a very different player to the rest of the players in the squad. You know, especially if he's going to play in that sort of central midfield area, he's giving United energy and this kind of dynamic approach, direct approach that no one else is going to bring. So that's that's he's, he's a very important player already for United. I mean, look, it's obvious that United are a few players short of competing for the title. So I don't I don't think it's going to happen. It's going to take a little while. There's going to be some inconsistency. They clearly need to work on defence, and and part of that is personnel. Part of that is is just you know working together. There there are lots and lots of question marks over all of United's defenders, and and that's a problem. Probably still a physical presence short in midfield because if any of Di Maria, Blint, and Herrera need a break, there isn't much coming behind them, is there? And and need to work out you know the best formations in the attacking positions. How do you get the best out of of Rooney, Van Persie, Mata, Yanazai? And Falcao. Uh, and how do you make sure that Valencia and Young are nowhere near the pitch? You know, lots lots and lots of questions still for United. And that's, that's why United will end up being short of the title. But Di Maria may well be the difference between United getting into the Champions League next season or not. You know, it's, it's really crucial that it happens. Otherwise, a lot of things don't come together. So it'll be interesting to see whether United do try and buy in the winter because that kind of physical presence in midfield, whether it's Kevin Streetman or another... Um, and, you know, I suspect we'll be talking a lot about Strootman in the lead up to that window, or there will be a lot of talk about him um, and an experienced central defender, you know, and it's clearly needed. It's clearly needed. You know, I talked about question marks over the defenders, all of them, you know, so even the ones who haven't played. So, you know, sure, question mark over his fitness and, and whether, you know, whether he's the right man because he's not getting a chance. Rojo, first season in, in England, clearly it's going to take him some time. Evans, he's out of position too often to be a top-class central defender. Smalling can't pass for Toffee. Blackett, inexperienced. Raphael, still naive after, you know, what feels like, you know, six or seven seasons at Manchester United. Well, it is six or seven seasons at Manchester United. So, lots and lots of question marks, and that's, that's probably why United will ship too many goals this season. But the right signings? And it's not many, is it? And suddenly United will will be challenging at the top, you know, maybe next season. Yeah, I mean, I think it, yeah, absolutely. Champions League this season, if we if we get there, then I don't think there's too many problems with the long-term situation. I, I, the one defender you didn't mention there is Jones, of, of whom the question mark is, of course, his injury record. That's, you know, that's the big problem, isn't it? Because if Jones was playing every game, we'd be in a pretty different situation in central defence but the fact that we can't rely on him to play every game because he's get he gets himself hurt yeah that's the thing and it? it's like he does and he's he's injury prone but yeah he does he he dives in uh to tackles and throws himself around and it's having an impact on his body so you know that's why he's not reliable right another question mark over him so uh, there's also a question about depth i think so you know a hell of a lot of money spent on some brilliant players and you know you can you can argue whether the strategy ever made a lot of sense this summer or uh, or whether money could have been spent elsewhere as well like in defense but still hell of a lot of money spent there will be some more because uh, it's required so you know just look at the benches for the last couple of games right so 
Yenazai uh, Valencia and Falcao came on against QPR. You know, three quality players there, or at least two, two quality <laughs> players. Yeah, I had to check myself. Lingard still on the bench, even though he's been given a free transfer, so he's, uh, he's not found another club yet. Uh, Fletcher, um, you know, question marks over him because, you know, he's he's clearly not quite there physically. Sean and Pereira, Andres Pereira, made the bench, but that says... Yeah, one one thing about, you know, how he's made some progress and he's a very, very talented player, but also, you know, the thinness of United's squad. And then look on the bench against uh, Leicester and it's Flincher, Valencia, Sean and Lindegaard, uh, as well as the three that came on. So, you know, you, you wonder whether there's too many players in the wider squad that, you know, we, we're probably sure that aren't quite good enough. So, yeah, anyway, so all, all of which is a long way, windy way of saying that United are not quite there with the top teams at the moment. And, and that's why United will not be making a, a title challenge this season if it's not already obvious. Yes, quite. Valencia, man, when he came on against QPR, it was really depressing because it changed everything in a really bad way when he came on. It was like one avenue of attack had suddenly been completely blunted. Um, and it just the, the thing about the attacking performance against QPR, of course we were given far too much room by them so we could do it, but every direction the ball went in, everything looked dangerous. You know, And, and the fact that the goals were spread out sort of proved that point in a way, that both the goals and the assists quite broadly spread out. And in, in the first half against Leicester, it looked the same way. It looked like it didn't matter who got the ball. We were going to be really dangerous and actually I think Leicester probably deserve a a fairly significant amount of credit for not letting that get to them and we kind of gifted them the psychological edge they needed with that first goal and Clattenburg and Rooney combined to uh, give them the psychological edge they needed with the the second and third goals but they did a very good job of stemming the flow I thought as well yep all very true uh, so look where do United go from here uh, West Ham United next weekend that's the other thing you've got to wait a week until the next game it's not it's not right is it no it's uh, it's a long time in football that uh, and especially if you don't have any European football to watch but uh, United at home on Saturday at three o'clock against West Ham, which means, you know, obviously a, a sound victory for United because uh, that's the only time we play well, apparently. Well, you know, some total of one, the sample there. Yeah, and we were terrible, weren't we, in the in the Saturday three o'clock kickoff that was, the, I think, no, no, the Swansea game was lunchtime, wasn't it? No, that doesn't count. QPR was, of course, on a Sunday. But yeah, it's Saturday three o'clock. That's always a fun time to kick off if you're going to the games and less fun if you're not in terms of finding a way to watch it. But I'm sure if we don't go, we'll manage. Um, I don't really know what to expect, really. I would have, you know, an hour ago, if you'd asked me, or an hour and a half ago, I'd have been extremely bullish about our chances, and I, I still sort of am. And West Ham, fresh from a very impressive defeat of Liverpool yesterday, eh, impressive and hilarious, of course, uh, although slightly less hilarious in hindsight now. But yeah, that, that's that was at, at their ground and the QPR game was at our place and we suddenly looked like we'd kind of got rid of that old Trafford curse. Um, so perhaps we can perhaps we can find some decent form. But how on earth are we going to make a back four? Because uh, Blackett's suspended, assuming Evans and Jones are not fit. Are we talking about Raphael, Smalling, Rojo and Shaw? Something like that, yeah, it might have to be. Yeah. And of course, that does mean, um, as somebody's just pointed out, uh, at Chase Faley has just pointed out to me, uh, that means that there is a very good chance that this, in fact, will be the game where there isn't a United Academy product in the starting eleven. Yes, although that has happened before, right? So no, uh, not for 
a hundred years or something. <laughs> in the starting eleven or in the squad, match day squad. I'd, I'd check that one. I'm not sure that United have had an academy player in, in every starting eleven for a hundred years. But uh, yeah, we we can check with uh, Mr. Mujek on on Twitter with uh, with that one whether that's right or not. Anyway, so yes, I mean it's going to be all change at the back uh, for United against West Ham. Since you mentioned it, let's just digress for a moment to talk about West Ham's victory over Liverpool. That's three defeats for Liverpool this season. Uh, I think we did say in the preview show that Liverpool might struggle a little bit without uh, Mr. Racist Biter in in the team. You did. I said I thought they'd be better this season. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, let's just stick with uh, my prediction, shall we? So <laughs> we'll call it. Yeah, it's it's like a four ball or foursome with the Ryder Cup coming up. You know, you you get the pre- best prediction and you combine them. Uh, and then that's the sum total of rank cast predictions. <laughs> uh, yeah, and also you're right, it's match day squad, and so we're definitely going to have players in the match day squad. Almost certainly, because uh, there, there aren't very many players fit, so yeah, there might, might be a few more. So um, it, it's look, it's not going to be an easy game for United, even though it's at Old Trafford's uh, West Ham, you know, on the up. You know exactly how they're going to play. It's the Sam Allardyce side; they're going to be directing in your face. Uh, which is exactly what United seem to be struggling with at the moment. Although there's a few other things that United are struggling with too. All, to all, everything, all the types of football: yeah, def- defending, attacking, <laughs> passing. Not attacking. No, no, we're good at that. Uh, attacking's all right. Yeah, just not good enough. <laughs> yeah, you know. We, we're winning seven-five uh, on aggregate in our last two games. Nice, very good. What, what is that old quote about? Uh, Attacks win you matches and defences win your titles. Yeah. I, I, we're clearly, we've clearly abandoned that philosophy for Louis van Keegan. Yeah, yeah. Oh dear. I'd just love it if United could defend for once. Uh, so, yeah, that is the key. Uh, West Ham will not be passive. Uh, they will be in United's face. United are going to have to deal with that. And, and the defence is, is going to be you know, under question, no doubt, because, you know, because of all the changes. Uh, because there are probably only four defenders fit, because Shaw will be making his debut, because Rocco will be playing uh, in a back two or you know central defensive pair, uh, and we haven't seen him there yet, and he had a difficult uh, time uh, against Leicester and Smalling, only just coming back from injury, uh, a long line of injuries, and Rafael loads of question marks over his defending, as always, you know, so... It's going to be challenging for United. Might well have to get that attacking trio right. And big call for for Van Hal with how he sets up his side. You know, let's. Are we going to presume he plays a diamond in midfield again? Maybe, maybe not. You know, just ship five goals. So something's not quite right there. So, uh, and then the, the the attacking three is it is it Matter and Rooney Van Persie? Is it Matter Rooney and Falcao? Is it Rooney, Falcao, Van Persie? Uh, we know Rooney's going to be in there because he, he has to play. He has special privileges. Special privileges, yeah. Uh, maybe we play him at the back. So, you know, quite a few question marks for Van Hal sort out over the next week. Of course, you know, he has a week to work on the video analysis and pump his players' heads full of information as he, he likes to do. He said that you know, he gives them a lot of information. Unfortunately, a few of them don't appear to be uh, soaking it up just yet. No, but he also said it would take a long time. Uh, although I think the three-month period is up, right? No, let's have it. July, July, August, September. So the end of this month, they'll have been in charge for three months. So does that mean the performances will start to turn around? It looked like they had against QPR. Uh, and all the way until uh, Leicester's second goal. But after that, I mean, you know, we've collapsed before, right? It, it sort of reminded me of a, like a lower scale version of the Champions League when Nani got sent off and everybody imploded for 10 minutes. And it, it sort of was the same thing in this game. We definitely have a problem with lack of on the field leadership. And 
nobody, but nobody can believe that Wayne Rooney is the answer to that problem. And I don't think even Wayne Rooney can believe that. I'm not quite sure what Wayne Rooney believes. He believes in the power of money. I know that. I sort of like let go of some of my antipathy towards Rooney, really. I'm kind of rooting for him this season. I, I, I would love him to sort of prove a new sort of role for himself as a kind of more mature elder statesman but he needs to be playing up front in order to do that and it would really help him not to be captain but anyway that's uh that's all that's all well and good and it's just going to be the way it is isn't it so uh should we do some rank cast questions we've had a lot of questions in the the two weeks we've been gone mostly when's the next podcast coming out which what this has taught me is that people don't listen to the end of our show ed they might not listen to the show at all yeah, in <laughs> one ear true. out the other. Yes, the next podcast for those of you uh, who uh, attempted to put it on Twitter will be next Monday. <laughs> yeah, it's coming unless something disastrous happens. Yeah, so we're back on a weekly schedule, I think, for a little while, which is it's good. The next time there's a problem is when there's a four o'clock Sunday kickoff. But we'll we'll see what we can do. Lots of questions about stuff we've already talked about at Hader S tw- underscore S23 saying the defence will get a lot of criticism for the Leicester game, but how bad was Rooney? Yep, both of them deserve uh, plenty of criticism. Uh, at ABC MSAG says who is to blame for today, meaning the game today, and I think... Uh, some combination of Alex Ferguson, David Moyes, Louis van Gaal, Wayne Rooney, the Glazer family, Tufty. <laughs> <laughs> At Luke Malia asks, with the front line being what it is, do you think we'll break the 100-goal barrier in the league this season? No. Okay. No is the answer, apparently, but we might break the 100-goal shipped barrier. <laughs> oh, ouch, touche. <laughs> um, At Smash Vixen says... Why is Di Maria your favourite player and who? <laughs> um, no, yes, you are correct. Uh, Di Maria is indeed my current favourite Manchester United player when it comes to watching people play football. Uh, the emotional attachment isn't quite there yet, but it's uh, it's coming pretty quickly. Very good. Yep, yep. Um, not, I'm not sure if he's my favourite player. I'm not not sure if any of them count as my favourite player at the moment, but um, <laughs> he's he's fast becoming the best United player to watch. Maybe even the best United player. Uh, at Gaffney99 says Rooney was clocked as the fastest player on the pitch versus QPR at 33 kilometres an hour. Does this mean his legs haven't gone after all? And uh, I noticed that he put in a real quick sprint today as well, uh, which was really nice to see um, at one point during a counter-attack. It didn't come to anything because the ball didn't get to him, but he really, he kind of beat a couple of Leicester players for pace. Yeah, uh, I guess he can put it in on a one-time basis. I'd love to see him do the bleep test because I I would uh, guess he doesn't do that well at that one, but uh, that's a guess because I've never seen him do it. Okay, that mash guy says, will Fellaini get any games this year? legitimately completely forgot about Marion Fellaini. Not just saying that for fun, when you were talking about who's next in line for midfielders earlier, didn't even occur to me. No, it didn't occur to me either. I forgot, yeah, he's injured at the moment, so he has to get himself fit uh, for a start. And Van Hal said a couple of weeks ago, didn't he, that, that Fellaini has a role to play. So he has a role to play. Uh, he's he's behind Di Maria, Blint and Herrera for a shot at, at uh, playing. But, you know, in that is also Fletcher and Anderson, I suppose. He hasn't got anywhere near the side recently, or the squad even. Uh, is he fit at the moment? Who knows? He's eating his way through Manchester. And Fellaini when he gets himself fit, but he can't play unless he is. Yeah, um, 
loads of questions from at that mash guy. He also says, which of the youth players will do best this year? Wilson, Pereira or Lingard? Not counting Blackett, he says. Um, and I think there'd be a good shout for James Wilson if it wasn't for the fact that he's up against some pretty stiff competition, isn't it? Yeah, he's going to struggle. I mean, he he was mentioned by Van Hal on Friday as, as being one of what he considers his five strikers. So... Uh, he's in the mix, but he's not going to get a lot of game time. Lingard can't see him getting a lot of game time, but you never know. You know, if if United shift to a different formation, he's got a chance. Pereira, I'd I'd be very surprised if he gets much time. Unfortunately, not much cup time either. So uh, he's progressing fast. He's got bags and bags of talent. Um, I can't see him making it into the United first team much this season. But then again, I'd have said the same thing about Blackett not three months ago. So if he progresses enough, Van Hollers shown proven that he's willing to give players a chance yeah at dbn hipster says do you think Moy still goes to Giggsy's yoga class <laughs> i'm thinking not <laughs> that is a brilliant question imagine how awkward that'd be like doing downward facing dog and they make eye contact and Giggs looks away shiftily david Moyes is currently watching him with a massive grin all over his face yes david Moyes, he might be up for the newcastle job if and when Pardew finally gets the sack there's no i mean Moyes. You can't take that, can you? I'm not the world's biggest David Moyes fan by any stretch of the imagination, but you wouldn't wish the Newcastle job on your worst enemy, would you, at the moment? Well, it's one step up from the Leeds job, isn't it? So, <laughs> uh, But just only one step yeah. up. So I guess the thing about us only playing once a week is uh, there's quite a lot less games to preview. There's quite a lot less games to talk about, fewer games to talk about, although... Uh, we've had two to talk about this week. We could talk about your grammar. That, that might be it's, a good start. We'd, we could do about 20 minutes on that, couldn't we? <laughs> it's pretty... Yeah, we could. But let's not. Let's do fewer than 20 minutes on that subject. Very good. Uh, thank you. Uh, um, let's do less time on that subject. See, demonstrating I can use both correctly, not just one. Proper. Proper, like. So I guess we should predict the results of the West Ham game. Yeah. I'm not doing very well on predictions. I decided to back my predictions up with a pound bet on each game. Have you won any of them? No, I'm six pounds down. <laughs> Are you predicting exact scores? Uh, I'm doing a mix. Actually, my first five games of the season, I predicted first goal scorer and exact score, which of course is a mugs game unless it comes in. Uh, so I predicted an exact score and I might just go for a win next <laughs> week. Yeah, I'm getting getting less and less risky and let's let's see if we can, you know, get ourselves back on an even keel. I feel like predicting Manchester United to win a football match is still reasonably risky. Yes, well, I, I'm figuring that United will be uh, favourites, uh, marginal favourites uh, at home to West Ham. And, and my prediction, well, it'd be foolhardy to predict a clean sheet, wouldn't it? So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to predict a 3-2 win for United. All right, I'm going to predict a 4-1 win to United and Falcao to open his account because uh, it's coming. It is. Oh, we, we didn't talk about his uh, his brilliant attempt. Oh. Ball uh, flicked out to him on the left and on um, first time on the sort of half volley uh, crashed against the crossbar. And that would have been it. That would have been 4-1 and we'd have only lost 5-4. <laughs> yeah, well, look, you know, we didn't we didn't talk about a couple of the, the turning points, but that was one, right? You know, inches away from sealing a, a United win. And, of course, Klattenberg's refereeing was a turning point about 15 times in the game. He had a pretty, pretty poor game. It, it wasn't all against us either. Di Maria shanked a shot a good 
six yards wide and uh, got a corner for it because Clattenburg clearly... Yeah, but that's just because he's Di Maria, you know, and that's, that's, that's only right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So it's kind of a long time till it comes by. I'm really looking forward to watching, uh, you know, it's stunning attack in action again, and slightly less looking forward to watching their defence in action again. But it's going to be a fun season. And, you know, last season we talked a lot about the sense that there was no positive forward momentum. But even though the result was terrible against Leicester, there were still signs of encouragement, I thought. You know, I, th- I think it's pretty clear we're moving in the right direction. And it's all just a balancing act of if we're doing it quick enough, isn't it? Because if we don't get fourth this season, then the project is in real trouble. But if we do, I don't think it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you gave that a bit of uh, emphasis. Uh, you know, let, let's, you know, some quotes uh, because the word the project shouldn't be anywhere near the rank cast, should it? <laughs> no, Van Hals called it a project though a couple of times, and so's Falcao. So uh, this is how far we've fallen. Off. Yes, well, I, I guess that's it. A uh, slightly shorter rank cast this week. Uh, yeah, that's the problem. We're not having much to uh, to talk about. We we may have to elicit more rank cast questions, and uh, and and when we do that, they normally get silly, like talking about boys and sharks and and who'd win a race and that kind of nonsense but <laughs> i'm all for that that's that's really what i'm in the whole podcasting game yeah, for so. yeah exactly uh, i'm in the podcasting game to talk about united victories <laughs> well there was one there was. since we last did a podcast there, and there, there hasn't was, been perhaps one perhaps i should uh, head off to california more often i have to say um you know digressing slightly i had a very nice time in california thank you for asking Good. yeah I, know. Uh, I, I was in uh, palo alto for some work in San Fran to meet up with friends and uh, drove up the coast uh, through Marin, very beautiful Mendocino County, as I uh, now know to pronounce it, right up to the Oregon border uh, through the redwood forests. Uh, absolutely stunning. 2,000-year-old trees, infinitely more mobile than Chris Smalling. Uh, and uh, back through Hillsburg, um, drank most of Sonoma County's wine and came back with a massive hangover. Uh, it all sounds very nice. I went to Old Trafford. Yes, which was Top even red nicer. Points. <laughs> Top red points. I got zero red points. Uh, I don't know. You watched it. You watched it in a. You watched the game in a bar in San Francisco with a bunch of uh, West Coast Reds. So that's pretty good. Any rank cast listeners out there? Did you meet any rank? Cast Didn't listeners? ask actually on, on account of having a stinking hangover and not being uh, communicative. <laughs> uh, so sorry if I missed you while I was there. Uh, I, I will endeavour to um, to be uh, be more in touch next time. And until then. Um, we've got a week and uh, let's hope there's victory for United against West Ham we're both predicting there is which you know doesn't bode very well um, because you know the square root of rank cast predictions is normally a loss um, I, I don't think that will happen I think uh, United will have to bounce back from this one that's a horrible phrase uh, I don't like but uh, there's going to be a response there has to be a response uh, and uh, wouldn't it be great if he dropped Rooney no <laughs> yeah, no. I didn't I didn't I didn't say it that. would though <laughs> But anyway, um, right, so if you want to get hold of us in the meantime, please not to just swear at us about our opinions about Wayne Rooney. You're allowed to feel differently, that's fine. Um, I'm on Twitter at UTD Rantcast. Ed is at United Rant. Uh, get us both at facebook.com slash United Rant or go to the show page at unitedrant.co.uk. And I reckon this must be the exact time in the show when most people switch off, but that means they miss this. 